November 13, 1998. Nirvana is doing much better, and the Bearcat is being featured in the St. Pete Times as a rare, exciting birth. I thought it was a miracle, frankly, because I didn't know Bearcats were delayed ovulates. Susan Aronoff is wanting to change jobs, and although she and Jamie are getting along better these days, their relationship is not good enough that I would expect them to work together. It's a shame, because Susan Aronoff is bright and has a lot to offer. I introduced her to Richard last night because Pat is moving back to West Palm Beach, and they have more in common than he and I do. She is exactly what he needs in this office and could easily replace two, if not all four, of his staff. All he can focus on, though, is wanting to get something for nothing. He says he'll pay her $9 an hour for 40 hours, but she has to work eight hours more for free. Well, what that really means is he'll pay her $7.50 an hour. It was pretty short. Let's do another one. November 16th, 1998. Today was such a typical day. I woke up at Richard's mother's house and drove him to work at 7.30 a.m. I made my face while I read the classifieds and finished up the paperwork I had taken to his mother's last night. Richard cooked breakfast and I drew up some ads for him, reviewed a contract for him, and listened to Donna, his ex-secretary who hangs out in the office all day, tell me all about how her arm got sucked up into the drive through shuttle at Walgreens. If I were that stupid, I sure wouldn't brag about it. Richard had to go to a hearing at 10.30 and I left for home. Entering Easy Street, Don's van stops in front of me, and it's John telling me someone let the lemur out of the utility room and they found blood all over Shatia, the Canada lynx, mouth and her cage, but no remains. He's taking Shatia, the Canada lynx, to the vet, only he doesn't know who she is, only that she's a lynx. I send him on, fearing that it is Shatia and that her cardiomyopathy has resulted in a bursting heart. I go back to her pen and discover that it is her on the way to the vet, and I look the cage over myself for traces of the lemur. I go inside to call the vet and tell her that it is Shatia and remind her of her heart condition, only to find out that John has left the cat there in a carrier and no squeeze cage or net so the vet can't sedate the cat. She is foaming blood from the mouth, and the vet says it's probably her heart and asks me to send the squeeze cage and net to her so she can examine the cat without causing enough stress to kill her. I send John back up with the needed supplies. I go looking for Dad and Kenny Farr, who repeat the whole thing over to me again and give me more details. They have fixed the place in the fence where the tiger had climbed over and nearly out the day before. Richard calls to gloat, saying someone has offered him $12,000 for a building I thought he'd be lucky to get $4,000 for. He wants me to pay up the $100 I bet him. I told him I'd pay when he had the money in hand. He asked if I was having a good day, and I broke down crying over Shatia. I've had her for five years and raised her from just a few days of age. I always knew this day would come. The computer has crashed, taking with it all of my cat's health records for the past six years. I call around for help and am told it will run me $100 per hour, so I decide to fix it myself. Weirdly enough, the first thing I did, reinstall the program itself, worked and I was able to save all of the information I thought was lost. A reporter calls and says the story he is doing about me makes me sound really bad and he asks if I could rebut the claims by Don's kids and Anne McQueen that I fed Don to the tigers and that I ground him up in the butcher boy. That's ridiculous, because the throat of the grinder is about the size of a half dollar, if that. 
I tell him the cats would have killed Don, but they wouldn't have eaten him because they're fussy like that. Not a great answer, but I'm sick of stupid people. I search for the lemur and then check on the serval who decided to give himself a stroke over having a new bobcat neighbor yesterday. He was shaking so bad a day later that I had locked him in the house so that he couldn't see another cat. I coaxed him into eating for the first time in two days and felt better about his condition. I've just gotten Nirvana Ocelot through her illness that nearly took her life a week ago. Susan Aronoff calls, elated that she got the job with Richard, and she talks forever. I get off the phone with her, and my attorney calls, and can't get anyone to show up for depositions. He says the kids have changed their mind again, and now they want to finish the deal we agreed to, but they want accountings for all quarters, since Doug Stolle has never gotten any of them signed and submitted to the court. Mom was gracious enough to drop everything and to recopy all of it. I spent the day looking. I spent the day booking the cabins, answering questions, ordering supplies, sending out volunteer and photo tour info. In between, I work on evictions and foreclosures and prepare a satisfaction of mortgage I never could find the file on and make copies of the documents I hope will save me from a battle with the EPA on a contaminated site that Don got involved with in. I call the vet and expect to hear that Shatia has died. But instead, the vet says she has a laceration on her tongue and that she can come home now. A cut on her tongue? I've been agonizing over her biting her tongue. I send John after her in Don's van because I don't want her riding in the back of a pickup truck. The vet says the problem is that it will hurt to eat and she will probably try to starve herself to death. And how was I going to get her meds in her if not in her food? Feeding time arrives, and no one but Crazy Gary and Susan Aronoff show up. We are racing against time to get the cats fed before dark, and smoke is blowing in. Two female bobcats get into a cat fight over who's going to eat first, and the hose is shut off. I yell at the cats and bang on the wire to no avail. Shonda is down on her back, and Cherokee has that look that says she is going in for the kill, so I duck down and attempt to storm into the cage, but I stop short. I look at the gaping gash in my leg that has been impaled on the wire and wonder if I will bleed to death, and worse yet, can I get unimpaled and get the door shut before all three of the cats get loose? I run for the other end of the hose and turn it on, but by now the cats have forgotten what they were fighting about. So I flush out the wound and decide I can still get the cats fed before I'm going to think about how much this hurts. It's dark as we are feeding the last of the cats, and as I'm cleaning buckets, my dad and John come to tell me that the van has broken down on the way home from the vet again, and that they had to toss Shatia in the back of dad's pickup truck to get her home, but they covered her with a tarp. They tell me that the smoke is from the pig farm next door, and the flames were leaping above the treetops. The fire department has dug a trench around the fire to stop it from spreading. I'm wondering if the lemur said it. Crazy Gary comes back from feeding and has been scratched by the serval Dakota. He's carrying on over how much it hurts, and I turn around to face him in my blood-soaked clothes, and he shuts up about this nick on his hand. Exhausted, I check on Shatia and try to get her to eat her medicated meal, but she's not interested. No one fed the cat in the bathroom, so I go back out to fix him a plate. I am so tired and hungry. 
The baby bear cat is dirtier and hungrier, so I clean her cage and cut up her meal into one-eighth inch squares. I warm up leftovers from yesterday's volunteer barbecue, and Jim Moore comes flying through the back door yelling that he needs a flashlight. I really just want to hand him one and not ask why, but can't. He tells me that two females and two male leopards are all in the same pen, and one of them is Simba. I grab two lights and we dash out to the cage. Some stupid, deaf volunteer is about to drive us both insane as we race against time to get the cats into separate lockouts before they engage in a bloody battle that will surely leave someone dead. We finally succeed in correcting the problem and getting everyone safely tucked away, and I go and check on Shatia again. Richard calls in the middle of this, and I ask him to check on the progress of the fire. There have been news helicopters buzzing around our heads, and it has been the least of my worries. Richard calls me back to say that no one from the fire department or the sheriff's office knows anything about the blaze, but he has asked them to dispatch another fire truck. He wants me to come spend the night with his, at his mother's with him, but I'm afraid I'll get blood all over her bed and would rather stay home and let this wound air out. I get dressed to go check on the fire myself. The smoke is cleared and I don't see any smoldering embers, so I pour a glass of red wine and discover the 35-gallon fish tank in the kitchen is leaking all over the floor. Too tired to deal with it, I put a bowl under it to catch the water and hope it doesn't fall apart before morning. This was just another day.